The real villain is not capitalism, it's the wind. Welcome to The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen, we watch them separately, and then we Skype to discuss them. My name is Orla McNeilis. I am joined by... Ricardo Deacon. And I am coming to you live from my brand new apartment. It's very exciting. Whoop, 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 whoop. Woo, is my year, baby. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's what we said about 2020, but... <laughs> I really believed it too. Seems wrong to say that the year that's had a proper major world conflict and it is going to be your year, but that's the world we live in. Uh, yeah, so you're listening to Dublin Digital Radio and uh, this week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It is The Killing from 1956. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's account of an ambitious racetrack robbery is one of Hollywood's tautest, twistiest noirs. Aided by a radically time-shuffling narrative, razor-sharp dialogue from pulp novelist Jim Thompson, and a phenomenal cast of character actors, The Killing is both a jaunty thriller and a cold-blooded punch to the gut. With its precise tracking shots and gratifying sense of irony, it's Kubrick to the core. That's a mighty pretty head you've got on your shoulders. Do you want to keep it there, or do you want to start carrying it around in your hands? Maybe we could compromise and put it on your shoulder. I think that'd be nice, don't you? What were you doing outside that door? Doing? I was listening, naturally. Trying to, I should say. Oh, you admit it. You admit you were out there snooping. Yes, wasn't that naughty of me, but I'm afraid I was. I found an address in George's pocket. I thought he might be playing around with another woman, so I came over... And you'd care if he was playing another dame? That would bother you. (laughs) You don't understand me, Johnny. You don't know me very well. I know you like a book. You're a no-good, nosy little tramp. You'd sell out your own mother for a piece of fudge, but you're smart along with it. Smart enough to know when to sell and when to sit tight, and you know you better sit tight in this case. I do. You heard me. You like money. You got a great big dollar sign there where most women have a heart. So play it smart. Stay in character and you'll have money. Plenty of it. George will have it. He'll blow it all on you, probably by himself, a five-cent cigar. Mm. You don't know me very well, Johnny. I wouldn't think of letting George throw his money away on cigars. The film was directed by Stanley Kubrick, screenplay by Stanley Kubrick, dialogue by Jim Thompson, based on Clean Break by Lionel White, produced by James B. Harris, starring Sterling Hayden, a triple repeat offender, I believe. What was the other one? We did Asphalt Jungle. As- Asphalt Jungle, and he's also in uh, oh, the, the Long Goodbye. Yes, yes, a very old <laughs> played- Sterling Hayden. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Ernest Hemingway lookalike. Yeah, yeah, is he the guy who lives at the beach house beside your one? Is that the guy? Yeah, it's the guy that walks into the sea. <laughs> uh, Colleen Gray, Vince Edwards, J.C. Flippin, Mary Windsor, and Ted DeCorsia. Cinematography by Lucien Ballard and edited by Betty Steinberg. Music by nobody, is it? Oh, sorry. Oh, God. Music by Gerald Freed. I'm sorry, Gerald. Uh, this week's film was chosen by Ricardo. Ricardo, why did you pick this movie? Okay, uh, first of all, the before I forget, the Lucian Ballard who shot this movie is also a repeat offender because he shot The Wild Bunch as well. Ooh, 
he did he did quite a few of Peckinpah's movies. Uh, oh, oh, he was kind of a fox. He looks like Walt Disney. Why are you talking? No, he looks like um, Dermot Mulroney. Sorry, okay. who am I thinking of? Well, I, I picked the killing um, mainly because it's. I always find it interesting. Like as a conversation started, whenever we pick a director <laughs> and we pick a movie early in his career, this is obviously not. Kubrick's first movie, but arguably is the first Stanley Kubrick movie, if that makes sense. Because yes. his first uh, and second attempt are almost like his film school. St- yeah, his film school. Jeez, this <laughs> this bodes well if you have to finish my <laughs> sentence. So yeah, like we do that all the time. We've one brain. <laughs> that it was. They were like his film school. He did like a World War Two movie that is absolutely terrible. Even though supposedly got a new reappreciation from critics, but it's one of those ones that I think mm-hmm. yeah anybody that says that this movie is good is just because they see the name Stanley Kubrick and they're afraid of saying that it's a bad movie because mm-hmm. it is a piece of shit. Like from the costumes to everything, it doesn't even have the enjoyment of a B picture because it's very 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 pompous it is like you know when you get like it's very much a film school movie it is that kind of like i'm 22 years old and i know everything about the world and Mm. this is what nobody has told you about the world and it's just fucking cliche after cliche and no depth whatsoever because there's um recalling that line from uh uh, dark place that I've used a few times. Uh, I've known a few authors that use subtext, and they're all cowards. Uh, <laughs> the killing encapsulates everything that makes Stanley Kubrick a, a really amazing director, but also it still has the flaws that all his uh, consequent work has. But what Kubrick always was able to do is be able to, in the balance that the flaws that repeated throughout his work would not were so much lesser than the successes in the movies that you'd forget about them. That there's like an obsession with like the technicality of making the film, the the way of how he was able to deal with some actors and not other actors. So there's always like an imbalance in his movies about like the quality of the performances and not to say the quality of the actors because mm. like there are the actors that would do great work in other movies but they just couldn't deal with Kubrick's confrontational methods let's say and yeah he was a cunt let's just say that up oh yeah all together <laughs> like there's no two He's ways an about absolute it monster <laughs> But like, uh, but also like in the in the sense of like how cold his characters are, how mm. pessimistic his movies are, and you have to kind of buy into that worldview, or at least to the illustration of the the worldview to be able to enjoy his movies. Because otherwise, stuff like that movies that I love by Lyndon J- uh, Lyndon Johnson, <laughs> by Lyndon. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just recasting that movie in my hand. <laughs> like Barry Lyndon or Eyes White Shut or The Shining are such bleak but also cold movies that if you if you don't 
if you're waiting for any shimmer of light, even something that mm. is somewhat optimistic in 2001 Space Odyssey is still as cold as you can be. And uh, it's uh, an as... ice pick to the heart. Like it really is. Despite being incredibly overwhelming and incredibly emotional and stuff at the same time. Uh, and like a film that really makes you think about your own humanity. It's not a film with a lot of humanity in it. Exactly. <laughs> He's not a humanist like at all. Yeah, and I, I do think I find and we love a humanist. I do find it interesting in a way, like no not to say that I'm interesting, but is that <laughs> I I really appreciate and like very positive and optimistic movies and stuff like that. But every so often I need like pitch black, cynical, yeah. kind of fucking absolutely all the characters are pretty much worthless. Every fucking turn was for nothing at all. Even the last line in the movie, like, is one of the best last lines. In what's a, the point? Is that what what's the difference about like <laughs> running or not running, staying in jail or not? It's so fucking bleak and and that's what makes this movie. But also, I think that this is obviously the the seed that was planted in so many other directors that started mm. making kind of B-movies when they started. There's so much Coen brothers in this that it's kind of strange in a way because like how the, the plotting works. It's a bit blood simple, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. And even like the guy that plays the, the, the sniper guy that like shoots the horse, he is like the image of John Torturo yeah he has the same kind of vibe you know like this kind of like fucking weasley vibe that torturo is so good at portraying and bringing which is again one of those like great things of performance performers because if you see torturo's interviews or uh, people are talking about torturo nobody says anything but like the nicest things about the man yeah he seems like a dote like he seems lovely that everyone kind of loves him and everyone he works with he's like friends with him forever and stuff it's like oh yeah but then uh he he can be as weasley as he is in miller's crossing and (laughs) um, yeah but i think that this movie most importantly this movie is a heist movie yeah and Mm. most heist movies you think about how are the characters gonna get away with it especially when the main characters are the robbers you know because Mm -hmm. you think that they're gonna like somehow they're gonna be able to get away with it and you're disappointed when they don't it's the same uh, as in escape movies like even the great escape that like steve mcqueen doesn't make it out but you're kind of disappointed and you're shocked when he doesn't you know it's the same as when we watched um the grand illusion as well you're like how are they gonna do it how they're gonna do it and i think that there is a similarity when uh, between the heist movies and escape movies because it's all about the the logic of the we did um la true as well uh the uh, prison escape film um it's a great movie and we did uh, rififi as well the another oh, heist Rififi. movie yeah and i think that this movie the way that it differs to every other movie that we've discussed is that from the very opening scene, you know that the heist is going to be nothing is going according to plan. It's <laughs> like 
it's a terrible plan. All of these guys are not made for this thing. At 7 p.m. that same day, Johnny Clay, perhaps the most important thread in the unfinished fabric, furthered its design. None of these men are criminals in the usual sense. They've all got jobs. They all live seemingly normal, decent lives, but they got their problems and they've all got a little larceny in them. Everybody's just like holding on for dear life. They're like the in the gutter kind of characters and they're almost suicidal in their attempt to change their lives. That is like, yeah, I might get killed doing this, but in the end, if I do, is it that <laughs> much worse? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that permeates throughout every single frame of this movie that is like so pessimistic, especially like for it to come out in 56 when it's like the height of American uh, imperialism and importance and and economical like the fucking highways are being built, you know, like fucking Robert Moses is tearing his way through New York. <laughs> yeah, like uh, there's the dream of America and these guys are the actual reality, you know, like the the way that even he goes to that motel that is like the fucking it's not even the the seediest motel ever. It's just like the saddest motel. I think that so much of this movie is not like that it's seedy or bad. It's just sad. Everything, every apartment is sad. Every, even like the guys in the in the uh, airport lounge, they're so sad. They're just like coming into work. I have to deal with this fucker. Oh, we'll break the rules. We'll cancel your flight if you don't want to. Like also, I love how. Like there's something very charming about just <laughs> always in like movies around this time or like even in the 60s and 70s. It seems to be that you just kind of walk about 10 yards to a desk. You buy a ticket and then you just go through a little door and the plane is there. <laughs> like there's no like. <laughs> it's something in a way. Just take my bag full of money. And also like the way that he checked in a bag like a full day before going in. It's like what, what the is, fuck this? is this? Where are they keeping that bag? <laughs> I do think also like uh, when it comes to the B movies that um, because they didn't have the money to build sets usually they age much better than a lot of uh, mm. Hollywood movies because it becomes all almost like uh, a well it's actually photographic evidence but it is an actual record of the time this is how LA looked this is how airports looked. This is how cafe diners looked and apartments and every, all those things. And I think that the cinematography is great. But one of the things that I liked the most is that the first time that I watched this movie, my fear was that it would not be trashy enough. Because, <laughs> you know, you sometimes hear about like directors that started making movies when they started and then they got upgraded to a movies and then they were considered auteurs and artists or whatever and then you mm -hmm. go to watch their b movies and their souls like peckinpah is a good example of that since it, like the same cinematographers there is like ride the high country which would be like a low budget uh western that would have been like his first um Hollywood movie let's say there was like a B picture western with like old western actors and all those things it is like a morality tale and it's very like fucking brainy and it doesn't feel like a B picture it's the kind of 
movie that you would have gone and watched first and it was better than the A picture, you know, both in how it's <laughs> made and the messaging and stuff. I do appreciate that the killing is like one of the better versions of a trashy B picture, you know. Mm. There's a certain joy and importance and necessity to also have this kind of movie within the 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 film universe and the like in the palette of cinema and i think that it is lacking nowadays that you can't just go to a movie and it feels like you're reading an airport page turn or something that you pick up to go on your holidays just to read in the airplane <laughs> that's what you need and this feels like that from the very beginning when like i love movies that like there's a narrator like it's it feels like it's like law and order or something with the it's with the so narrator giving the times <laughs> and everything <laughs> it's like such a mid-atlantic like newsreel accent as well it's so funny <laughs> what was his name hold on let's let's see uh, if i remember correctly arch gilmore if, if i remember correctly he did also the uh, narration for dragnet on tv back in the day <gasps> which is i did see some people complain on um on letterboxd because i love looking at the one star reviews for things um uh, i had seen people complain that this was just like an episode of dragnet and i'm like is that bad um also someone complaining about how um the film gets derailed by um uh by like the relationship drama <laughs> it's like what but like uh yeah like we'll probably get into like the relationship drama and all those things but without further ado what did you think of the killing uh well first of all i have a quick and very fun fact uh rodney dangerfield is in this movie um <laughs> yeah your face Oh, yeah, he I think he's like 21 or something at the time, but apparently he's in like um the crowd that forms whenever the fight starts, uh the amazing fight, uh in the bar. Um I think he's like an onlooker or something, so he's he's uncredited, but he is he's there like if you if you google it, he's there in the cast. So there you go. Um yeah, I had a great time with this. Um <laughs> Oh, I put it on last night. I um yeah, and I was like, oh, wow, it's like 84 minutes long. Great, like threw it on, got my new couch, sat with my new couch, had a glass of wine, watched it. And um, just, oh, I don't, just had a fucking great time. I really, really did. It was interesting what you were saying about the like watching. Sometimes it's good to watch something that's just like pitch black. And if you're not in the humor for it or if you don't need that little touch of the darkness in your life sometimes i could imagine why you would not like this film but i feel like i was just in the right frame of mind for it so that whenever it ended i laughed hysterically because i was like oh what an ending what an ending the dog <laughs> so good um i think we need to start um uh a new playlist on the soundcloud for um heist movies because i feel like we've done a lot of them actually because even like uh like Rafifi, the Circle Rouge, uh also uh Asphalt Jungle. <laughs> this <laughs> I just want to compare like the, the descriptions of the two movies are basically Sterling Hayden, fresh out of prison, plants and labyrinthized. <laughs> like I I feel like maybe he was a little bit typecast, but he plays that character so well. There's like there's like a twitchy desperation to that guy that I, I really, really enjoy. Uh, it also kind of reminded me of um, 
uh, pick up on South Street a bit as well um, because of the sort of like sad dirtiness of it. Yeah, like there were definite sort of like in how the interiors and stuff look and everything. Like the two films are shot quite differently, but um, yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with this. Um, like also, obviously, any heist movie that you watch has a lot of like very similar characteristics, but there's something very enjoyable and very like Ocean's Eleven about this film. Ocean's Eleven, watched it again the other day. So good. Um, a movie where you're never afraid that anything's ever going to go wrong, but it doesn't matter. It's still just a great time. Yeah, like you're correct there that it, this is the exact uh, direct opposite to Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. You're like, you know, everything is going to end up right in Ocean's Eleven. And you know from the very first frame of this movie that it's like nobody's coming out alive with this thing. In fairness to this film, like, well, in fairness to this film, but like, you know, in a way, it's not that everything goes wrong. It's that just one or two things don't go right. And that kind of sets the whole thing off on a, you know, in a, in a way before they even get to the day, the thing is already ruined because of um, our femme fatale um, and because everyone is kind of feckless. But um, I love how he spends so much, uh, like Sterling Hayden's character, he spends so much of his time kind of running around trying to find these people who were like, you know, absolute pros. Like the guy in the, the chess, what's it called? The chess hall or chess? There's like a particular name for them, uh, which apparently Kubrick used to hang out in. Like that was something that he did. He would go to these like chess rooms and you'd like just hang out and play chess with people all day. It's like, he's exactly a chess and, asshole. And that <laughs> actor, supposedly uh, Kubrick found him in one of these chess clubs. <laughs> That's probably the, his actual chess club then. That guy's amazing. Um, he's like going around finding all these amazing pros when he's like built his heist on the back of people who are completely unsuited for this job and in a way are kind of unnecessary. Like when you kind of look at it, it's like, did you really need the guy that like opens the door? And yeah, it's like, mm. uh, but at the same time, like much like Ocean's Eleven, the point is not to pull apart the heist or how it's put together it's it's the point is to like enjoy the characters and how everything either comes together or falls apart um it's interesting as well because obviously like this is not it's not like you know the first heist movie or whatever but there's a lot of um uh there's a lot of elements to this that are very interesting like the time jumps like the fact that it's so pitch black and stuff um obviously like something like asphalt jungle is very like inspirational for people as well but i think um this is definitely a film that tarantino cites uh as a big inspiration for um like reservoir dogs and like various other films but yeah it, it's kind of sad how it's like it's, it's another we've done a few of these where also i think we've done a few of these within the uh heist genre of movies that are so like so inspirational to other directors uh like are set up so much of the tropes of a genre and yet are completely forgotten in modern day even for i wonder if maybe part of it is that he all kind of overshadowed himself in a way because like all his other movies were like of yeah but at the I, same, I, same time i think that sometimes whenever we talk uh, talk about those movies those are movies that were big movies that were forgotten well this was a movie made to be forgotten so even True, if it is the true. fact that there is like the the fact that there is people like me and you there and it's not 
in a sense, it's not a hard movie to find. It never has been. It has always been on print on VHS, DVD, mm. uh, Blu-ray. Uh, so it's been like, I think it's a testament to the movie in a way that it's like the opposite, that it's actually for a movie that was made to be literally, um, what would, what do we call call it nowadays? Straight to DVD. No, no, it's uh, it's just to, meant to be content. <laughs> because we need to feel, yes. have churn a full the day. Churn the might, churn the might. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. I've just literally... <laughs> the entire roster of like the, the, the year of the studio, I'm just like imagining it now and like and a, a whole grid of Instagram reels. Like... <laughs> bless me father I yeah I wonder I know that like this film obviously didn't really make much money or anything but um seemed to have been relatively well reviewed at the the time which is kind of interesting but um yeah it's interesting um obviously whenever you watch a filmmaker that is so prolific and has made so many like you know big films you're always kind of watching watching the film trying to like you know see where like his where's his themes where is he you know like where's little baby kubrick in this um there's a great quote from uh ebert actually um on this film um it's tempting to search here for themes and styles he would would, re- would return to in his later masterpieces but few directors seem so determined to make every one of his films an individual freestanding work seeing it without his credit would you guess it was by kubrick would you connect Doctor Strangelove with Barry Lyndon? Lyndon Lyndon Johnson. I feel like I haven't really appraised Kubrick in a way where you kind of like sit down and really think about the the themes that his films share and stuff, even though like they're obviously very apparent. But um, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that I kind of I started the film thinking that being like Kubrick 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 and then by the end of it I'd forgotten that entirely because I was just so charmed by the thing and was so kind of like drawn into the world and was like how's it gonna end it's gonna end so badly <laughs> so it didn't really matter um there's like one bit in the film where there's a lot of repetition around the like the horses are now heading out for <laughs> race seven the horses are now <laughs> heading out for race seven and they say it like 15 times and they say it. I think I like I understand the use of the repetition to like it's like a timestamp. But there's like one like 30 second bit of the film where I'm like, this is badly edited because you did not have to have that in there that time. And it yeah, was, but also is that people weren't used to it at the same time. It's the same as like you watch a fucking Hitchcock movie yeah. these days and you're still like, OK, he drives up to the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then there's a shot of the house. There's a shot <laughs> of his knocking on the door. Montage. And then a shot of him walking to sit on the sofa. And nowadays you'd be like, guy gets out of the car, <laughs> starts walking towards the door of the house. That's and sad. then the next shot, he's sitting <laughs> in the co- sofa. Yeah. It, it used to cut, like, because you're used to it as an audience, like, uh, uh, worldwide. Yeah, we're sitting that it. How the language works. You're able to cut corners and cut, like, people know that you're sitting in a sofa in that house and that house belongs to the person that owns the house and is this person serving you tea or whatever the fuck. Aren't we so but smart? Like, <laughs> but like, I do think that it's also kind of like, um, like obviously pointedly the uh, Ebert points 
mirrors the killing with Doctor Strange love because it's the other Sterling Hayden collaboration that Kubrick did. Yep. I do love his performance couldn't be more demented in <laughs> uh, in Doctor Strange love. Good old Colonel Jack D. Ripper, which is one of the greatest <laughs> names in any movie. But uh, I do think, like, when you're saying uh, themes, uh, like, and what Ebert's saying about style, I do think that it's it's a weird thing about Kubrick in a way that is the style, even the vi- visual style. And I, if I remember correctly, every movie that he did was shot by a different person. Maybe wrong. I but in general, they do have their own distinctive visual style. That if you're watching even back-to-back movies like uh, The Shining and then Full Metal Jacket, they look like movies shot by different filmmakers. Mm. Even if you include A Clockwork Orange or uh, 2001, this, Eyes Wide Shot, is that Kubrick always seemed to be a person that, like, the style needs to fit the material, but also within that, it is how technical it is and also how innovative it is in the shooting mm. and the fact that much like Spielberg with the one Warner that there is um, a certain pace in the Kubrick movie that you feel you don't know you can't pinpoint it you can't do a video essay on it you can't but you know that you're in a Kubrick movie when you're in a Kubrick movie like regardless of the killing uh, as Kubrick said uh, sorry Ebert said but all his other movies are the same. If you're sitting there watching fucking Tom Cruise walking around fucking New York and but it's like <laughs> back projected New York because it was shot in London because Kubrick didn't want to leave. So it's this weird ass looking thing. Same as like Wasn't like Clockwork Orange as well, is that like he didn't want to leave he wanted to film it within a certain area or something? It was like he's Well it was full metal jacket that like he just planted fucking palm trees in England. He's such a diva. That's why all the trees are dying in the movie. It's like, oh it's grand, it's about us saying whatever. Let's I mean... let's shoot a Vietnam movie in England. <laughs> that is the I got away with it. I don't know, like it takes a madman. I'd say he just didn't like flying. Uh, and it's the weird thing that he's so associated with England when he's from Chicago originally. Is he from Chicago? Yeah. I knew he wasn't English. I didn't realize he was from Chicago, though. That seems so incorrect. Like if I remember the... He, no, sorry. He's New York. And, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I was thinking. I was like, Chicago sounds wrong. This is like um, uh, Kelly Reichert. <laughs> she's from Florida. <laughs> it's like, no, she's not. <laughs> That's just incorrect. <laughs> I do think that like also like if you look at um, Kubrick's cinematography, you have uh, like his two first movies, which were like way low budget kind of film school movies. So we'll ignore them for the moment. <laughs> you have this, which is The Killing, then Paths of Glory after this, oh. which is such a jump up also in the in the way of filming that like he did Spartacus. Which, which is also kind of interesting because it's the only movie that doesn't feel like a Kubrick movie because it is a work for hire job. I don't think because I've the seen movie that. was already being shot whenever like uh, he went in and started working on it, and then he did Lolita, Doctor Strange Love, and 2001 Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, so it was white shot. It's unbelievable, batting record. 
as a director. It's insane the glut of them. Like as you go from, it's insane, with not much space in between them really, because you're going from like 1957 to like 1987, and like it's just insane. Well, at the same time, is the that is the clearly the path of somebody that is a perfectionist because you look at John Ford's cinematography and he's doing six <laughs> yeah. movies a year. Yeah. Like, he wasn't doing that in like the 70s and the 80s though in fairness it was like a different yeah but like he was fucking 90 years old then if you're making six (laughs) movies in the 70s and 80s like when you're 90 years old you're like on some fucking drug that i want right now (laughs) i think that one of the reasons that film students get into kubrick so early on is that it is a filmography that is very like as we said very like it's completely stacked with masterpieces but also that it is you're able to watch every single movie easily like that's one long weekend of watching movies you know you're not sitting there going like oh yeah like even somebody like sent Peckinpah that not only Peckinpah has the same amount of movies pretty much but you have like a couple of garbage movies that are three hours long you know there's no and then you're like oh whenever you're young it's very difficult to to be able to square the fact that somebody that you think is a genius can make terrible movies so Kubrick is a very easy person to go oh he's a genius look everything he made was amazing and I I, I know because I've seen every single one of his movies like that that's it part of my thinking is that so many people are Terrence Malick movie fans because it's so easy to watch his entire filmography <laughs> because people are both inherently lazy but also like <laughs> like thinking that they're like a film buff at the same time so it's like yes Kubrick <laughs> I'm like ooh it's like people who are like Tarkovsky ooh. I'm like whoa yeah, it's like when somebody every time they, you, you talk about uh, fiction they just refer to Hemingway and it's like mm, mm. have you read anybody else mate <laughs> it's Kafkaesque oh yeah it's uh, Orwellian it's like have you read 1984 no but it is Orwellian Jesus mandatory reading no, I'm very glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, well, part of it is that, like, something that I, the first time I watched it, I kind of was annoyed by it. But the second time and third time and so sequent versions, I think it's actually hilarious. And I think that it is on purpose. Maybe I'm giving too much credit to the movie. But the uh, Sterling Hayden's girlfriend in the movie, she's so fucking vapid and like you don't understand why she's a Sterling Hayden and then I realized that it's like there's a reason why they cast like the most beautiful woman that they could find in LA and put it next to Sterling Hayden who looks like a fucking like banana that has been left out in the sun and he has a sweaty charm (laughs) he's just there going like she's just like oh I'd wait for you forever kind of like yeah what's the fact that he went to prison for like five years and she was clearly just like waiting by the phone for him the whole time it's like a little pet but part of it though is that I got from this rewatch and again I don't know if it's me adding context to the movie or not Hmm. or subtext uh 
is I think that it is a hint that he is a very dangerous character, that she's more afraid of what happens if he comes out of jail and I have another guy. So mm-hmm. I better just stay pining for him. Well, no, no, not for a second did I consider anything else, Mr. Silent Hayden. No, no, no. Uh, I, I just wanted you all along. And then she's like, oh, I couldn't bear if you went back to jail. But it's more like, oh, shit, I have to do this again if he goes back to jail. And I think the shot of the money flying. Oh, God. You know, it's one of those things that you know that it was probably they had one shot to get it right. And I don't know how they managed to, like, put in the fans that are blowing in different angles. That the money it's, just stays kind of like hurricane. It's like but a it's, tornado. It's, a it's like a tornado of money. It's amazing. And, like, it's just, it's... As soon as the woman is there with the dog, you're like, uh-oh. And then, like... <laughs> so perfect like what i love is like the way that they edit the like very dramatic action bits so say like whatever you know the guy has to swear for the dog and then it cuts to the thing and then oh the bag falls uh but even whenever um (laughs) i rewind this a few times um uh (laughs) whenever (laughs) they've got the money and they're waiting for sterling hayden and uh uh your one's uh your one's lover turns up and uh there's like a shootout and it's like it's so crazy <laughs> it's like he shoots and then he shoots and then everyone's shot <laughs> it's like what <laughs> i know your, well, like, your man's got like the shotgun and stuff but it's like yeah it was just so funny um yeah like i i do think that that's one of those um things about history that i get changed uh, because everybody knew about weapons because of world war Two. hmm so they knew shotgun goes blast big or whatever. You don't have to explain that if you shoot a shotgun in a closed room, everybody's going to die pretty much. But even realistically, you get the pellet pot marks yeah. on your man's face, which you generally don't even see in modern movies because whenever like somebody fires a shotgun, you usually just see like an explosion, like if it was like a bomb that you're yeah, firing rather than um... like an explosion of pellets. That's a good point, actually. Um, Because you really notice it whenever he comes back to to his house and she's there, like, packing, kind of being like, oh, I'm just reorganizing the wardrobe. Um, And he's kind of, like, sort of languishing in the door. Um, I love that he shits her as well. It's so good. Um, Poor George. (laughs) Yeah, that is one of those relationships that you're like, oh, man. He's really got the the raw end <laughs> of the deal. I just like, oh, her dialogue is so funny. Um, very interesting as well. Like, there's a few kind of interesting points of, um, like, when Sterling Hayden has her kind of cornered and how she sort of tries to talk herself out of it and stuff. Um, there's also, what I find kind of interesting watching yesterday, uh, whenever... The guy who shoots the horse is in the car and the guy comes over to him and he wants rid of him when he says the N-word. And I was like, interesting. It was interesting because the film plays it as like a real outrage that he says it, which I find kind of interesting. You know what I mean? That it's yeah, like... Especially for the time. Yeah, it's like fucking like that's pre-civil his, rights act and That's his last else. resort, basically. You know what I mean? To get the guy to fuck off. And it feels real. Like you can almost feel the movie going... <gasps> You know, which felt quite 
like a big deal considering this was 1956 you know like not that people were casually throwing it into movies or whatever but at the same time i don't feel like there were a lot of movies that were sort of like using the word in such a pointed way you know well, like the thing is that they were using it all the time in movies and not giving a shit about it and it's yeah, also the way that he uses it knowing it mm. like that he pointedly is using to hurt just because he doesn't want to hurt him mm. it's like is the weird kind of connotation in that scene that is like i'm gonna hurt him emotionally because otherwise i have to shoot him physically I, and i like away. this guy you know like this guy's been very yeah Oh, God. Oh, when he comes back over, I really thought he was going to shoot him. I did love, though, whatever he, you know, he, he tries to drive away and then he drives over the horseshoe, just trying to give you some luck. I was like, ah. Yeah, and then he gets shot by your man, like the <laughs> the cop. Also, like that the plan would never have worked or whatever. Like, uh, it's. I do love the amount of time that Sterling Hayden, like, I want to have enough time, uh, enough money sometimes to like offer a load of a boatload of cash to somebody and just say part of this cash is so you don't ask any questions <laughs> doesn't matter what the plan is you're just bringing them around to paint your house but yeah yeah like I, I just want to have like that kind of money that you go like you get somebody to go in and it's like oh yeah i want you to like peel off uh the uh scrape off the the paint that is peeling off my windowsill you only do it in half the window. <laughs> and I'm paying you double so you don't ask any questions. We're Just to see people's reactions or whatever. We're seeing a real window into what life would be like for Ricardo if he had money. It would be a very stupid life. You'd be like the guy in Garden State that like invents silent Velcro and just like has all this money in this big mansion. Do you have any final thoughts? really uh i really enjoyed this um i'm glad you did like it has to be but well, we we should have like a playlist for movies under 90 minutes as well like oh, uh, right not done that's a great idea because obviously like we have petite maman as well that we've done recently and yeah, i think like again with this movie is a movie that really like is so taught stuff that it couldn't be more like if it was longer than it is i'd be mm. like this is shit like yeah. even five more minutes it, like this movie is so there's not a wasted moment they don't even waste moments by showing you stuff they just tell you oh this is what's gonna happen the narrator is like <laughs> at 11 that of- morning <laughs> sterling hidden had left his hotel and the fight scene is one of the greatest fight scenes oh, ever put to film. Oh my god, the guy has such a hairy back. I love it so much. I love that this like his shirt gets ripped in half <laughs> immediately as well. <laughs> it's such a like strangely silent fight as well. There's just kind of like the sounds of punching, but there's not really much. Yeah, there's no music. There's no, no close-ups. It just sits there holding on your man going like, reminds me of the A-Train uh, wrestler whenever I was growing up. <laughs> right, what was your favorite thing about the movie? Probably how like, like taut it is. You know, it's like, you're never in scenes very long. You're never, everything is just like ticking along all the time. And you're always being like cut to this person was doing this, you know, and 
it's the moving back all the time, but it just sort of like trucks along towards its somewhat inevitable, but still very entertaining conclusion. Um, and yeah, it's films like this are the kind of thing when you and like, oh, do you want to watch a movie? And people are like, oh, it's kind of, you know, do you have time? It's kind of late, whatever. This is the kind of film that you should, should suggest because it's 84 minutes long and like, you know, no point do you ever feel the length. It's just, it's perfect. It's like, it's a delicious little nugget of, uh, of enjoyment, uh, which is hilarious considering all the other movies that Kubrick made. Um, but yeah, no, I really, I really enjoyed it. Any, uh, what's your favorite thing? Well, like, I agree with you that the movie, um, like really rips along and it's, uh, short running time it's both felt and unfelt it doesn't feel that you just spent 80 minutes and it was nothing else it feels like it weighty enough mm. but i like how cheap it is <laughs> as a movie i think that's my favorite thing <laughs> that it is like a true b picture you know it's not only that they don't have money to run the sets is that i'm convinced they have those like there, there's loads of scenes that just weren't shot because they didn't have the money for the film <laughs> and uh, you know that's um even retex is oh what's the decision to have the fight as one wide angle um can we afford to have more than one take no let's do it this way we have this guy for one afternoon and uh <laughs> Well, like back in the day, Jesus, like they could have paid your mom peanuts for 10 days. So you can't just afford to keep the camera running for 10 <laughs> days. Oh. I think like uh, if I remember correctly, like some B pictures because they wouldn't have that much money for like costume or sets. That about 20% to 30% of the budget went on the actual film stock <laughs> that they were shooting. And like even the fact that they're shooting fucking Kodak triple double x black and white kind of the the, the basic of basic <laughs> stocks like alex is like certainly this is in the made in the 40s <laughs> nope <laughs> like, nope they, they're probably using film that was made in the 40s it's just been sitting there in some fridge somewhere he's like oh yeah okay mr kubrick okay uh, first movie but uh, i do think that like um not only the cheapness, but also like, over, you can really tell from watching this movie that Kubrick used to be a photographer before he became a filmmaker. Mm. Because I think that even within the, there's not enough mo money to do like camera moves, lighting, do all these things. But the movie doesn't feel as cheap as it should either. And yeah. I think it's one of those things that, again, talking about like how how uh, it is almost a document of its time. The, I, I love watching these kind of movies and figuring out, oh, this is how airports used to operate. Oh, my God. You know, like fucking <laughs> tanks Bin Laden. <laughs> uh, but... Literally, I mean, like, even you watch things in, like, the 90s of how easy it was to get on a plane, and it's like, for fuck's sake, you really fucked that first, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, like that'd be like some scene, somebody taking off. Oh, yeah, I'm just gonna take my steak knife here for uh, to eat my meal just in my backpack. As long as uh, for what? some reason, they, like, as long as you weren't carrying like a gun on you, it was fine. Like, put the gun in the backpack, and like, <laughs> as long as he walks through the metal detector and it doesn't go beep, it's fine. Like, but yeah, that's my like. I think that my favorite thing about the movie is that it's both a 
like out and out and out B picture. That is not. There's no. Oh yeah, this is elevated and all this shit. No, it's a fucking shitty B picture, <laughs> and it. But it is an amazing B picture. There's a reason why it's remembered because there's so many. Like just look at fucking Sterling Hayden's career. There's so <laughs> many movies. Like he even has a movie called Top Gun, and nobody mentions that. Uh, like, oh. When you say Sorry. Top Gun, nobody ever confuses which Top Gun <laughs> you're talking about. You know, <laughs> nobody goes Hayden. like, you know, oh, I watched Top Gun last night, and somebody goes like, the one with Sterling Hayden. Nobody does that, you know. No, like, well, neither like would? neither like the old one or the new one. <laughs> what was your least favorite thing? Um, probably just the times that the narration was kind of annoying, and it kind of. There was one little section that I was like, tighten that up a little bit. But, I mean, then the whole thing just ripped along afterwards, so it didn't even really bother me that much, honestly. Um, yeah, not a whole lot. What was your least favorite thing? Well, like, uh, is that people complain about the female characters being terrible, and I'm like, every character in this movie is terrible on one note. <laughs> because it's, a, it's the kind of movie that as soon as you see the character, you know exactly what type of person there is. Yeah. They're not going to surprise you. They're like they're just going to go along until their life th- is ruined by their decisions. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. I feel like that's just what everyone's doing in daily life, really. Um, I love it that the, the the cops don't even need to do anything to like, like they just like the, the whole plot just de- decomposes by itself. There's <laughs> no like cops, the FBI, like, you know. There's no, no detective trying to catch them no. or whatever. It's just that it was a dog they, in the end. <laughs> they did the perfect. I love the fact that he tries the the fucking case in the desert and it won't lock he still goes with it you like you had two million dollars and a car it's america just fucking drive away why, you don't need to get on why the plane. are you flying to boston i don't understand like the, it just made no sense whatsoever it's like you made this like airtight fucking plan and then at the end like fell at the fucking last hurdle like, it's so stupid but very entertaining at the same time as his face falls when he realizes. Um, I really wish to go to that shop where he bought that fucking uh, yeah, What was in there? <laughs> Sterling Hayden went straight out and bought the biggest suitcase he could find. <laughs> the biggest and shittest suitcase he could find. Also, the, the scene whenever he's like trying to put money into that suitcase is so funny. I was like, just stack the bills. I can't, I can't watch this. It's going to get windy and then you're going to lose half your money and then it happened anyway. So the real villain is not capitalism. It's the wind. (laughs) If they want to go back and find all our old heist movies or find movies that are less than uh, 90 minutes long, um, where can they find us, Ricardo? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, at The Rec Game, on Twitter, The Recommendation Game, at gmail.com is our email. We are um, your podcaster of choice. We're on every Monday, sorry, every second Monday, 11 to 12 on Dublin Digital Radio. And you can find us on their uh, Mixcloud as well. And next week's film is chosen by Orla, which is... The Truffle Hunters! No, Truffle Hunters, not the Truffle Hunters. Sorry. Does it start Nicolas Cage? No, and no pigs. Um, 
yeah, so uh, until then, I was Orla Martinez. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week.